episode 189 with consciousness coach, mental health counselor, astrologer, and teacher, a woman who was born into a cult and broke free after 33 years. Please welcome the one and only Dr. Francis Yahia. The Optimal Life. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's nice to meet you. Um, I've This is the first time I've had somebody on the podcast that was born into a cult, at least that I know of. So... <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> right. If not born, there's a lot of people that end up in cults, actually. You're the first person to at least admit it. <laughs> so what exactly is that? What do you mean when you say you're born into a cult? What is that? So it was probably more of like a spiritual community before it turned into a cult, which is not uncommon. So I'm Cuban, and it's very common in Cuban culture to practice Afro-Cuban religions. And that's what this was. It was a spiritual community. Um, the woman was originally from Cuba. My parents met her in New York, and then we moved to South Florida. And my parents were actually the financial arm of the cult. She was the spiritual arm of the cult. And I was forced into an arranged marriage um, with her nephew at about 30 years old. And then about 33, I left with my children. And he as well, we divorced, but he also left. And the early years were actually pretty great. I have a very strong spiritual foundation that's helped me in what I do now. But she kind of became an egomaniac and went awry, very money hungry, power hungry, pretty typical cult leader behavior, which I realized at that time was not in alignment with my values. And I didn't want my children to be, you know, raised in that environment. So I left. What exactly is that like growing up? When you say, what, first off, what exactly, what's your definition of a cult? Well, there's, in this particular instance, she was a medium, a psychic medium, and had a spirit guide that basically called all the shots. Obviously, she manipulated through the saying that it was the spirit guide. I, I channel spirit, and that's not the way it works at all, but I didn't know that, obviously, as a young person. So she would manipulate all behaviors, marriages, divorces, jobs, money, sexual encounters, everything by using the name of the spirit guide, you know, in function of what she would tell people to do. So she had full control over, there were about a hundred of us, I would say, and she had full control over our purses, our lives, emotional, physical, spiritual lives financial lives and she called all the shots did you guys, on her whim did you guys grow up on a when i think of cult i think of david koresh i think no, of waco this wasn't a commune that's a great question no and and that is oftentimes what happens no we all lived in our own individual homes we actually were neighbors my parents met her in new york i was born in brooklyn and shortly after that they had already known her for a few years but when I was born, they actually bought land in South Florida and built house uh, one next to the other. So she was our neighbor for most of my, my childhood. But no, it wasn't like a commune. Everybody lived scattered in Miami in their own address. We would commune on Fridays. That was sort of like the cult evening. And we would do ceremony and ritual and spiritual teachings. And like I said, the, the early years were really good. 
These were teachings were um, were from Alan Kardec, who's a well-known spiritualist, and his teachings is is what we what we were taught. But then it became a little crazy in terms of her manipulation, specifically around the finances, and we were obligated to pay her every month large sums of money. Um, and that was really the main manipulation. And then it turned into a romance. She would arrange and, and break up marriages like if it was nothing. So I'm trying to get back. I really want to understand this because this is very, there's not many people that can talk openly about this experience. So this is this is something that's very unique. But when you're a ch- in that early childhood years, four, five, six, up to, I don't know, you know, kindergarten, first grade, third grade, all those early years, what was... Did it seem to you like this was normal? But then looking back now, what are some of the things that you were being privy to at that age? So it was normal to me because I was born into it. So one of the things that you'll hear in cult sort of leadership is that you have a special privilege or there is access to something that others on the outside don't have. So there's definitely that sort of narcissistic trait that we're special. So we were like this, you know, 80, 90, 100 people that were special. And what was the special? The special was access to this spirit guide. And she would tell us, she would give us guidance on what to do with our lives, whether to take a job or or, or marry someone. There was that privilege was the information from the spirit realm. So growing up, you would consult with her about any sort of life major decision and she'd give you guidance. Obviously, as I left and grew up and now that we're, we're living in, in a time where everybody has access to intuition, I help people develop their intuition all the time. This isn't a privilege. This is accessible to every human being. We all have access to our spirit guides and and intuition. And so now I know that and, and it's what leaving there led me to my own journey to finding my own gifts. But we didn't know that as a little kid. So we had these big parties, about three of them a year, and one was focused solely on the kids. So she'd show up at our school with like big like Mickey Mouse with gifts and cupcakes, you know, back in the day when that was allowed. And you felt you just felt special. You felt like you were part of this private club. And nobody could know about this. So you, you lied about, you know, what you did on Fridays or what you had to do for certain parties that you missed school for. And so it was like a privilege or, or, or specialness is what you really grow up with. And it really messes with your mind because then you believe that that's true and that you have access to something that others don't until you mm. enter, re-enter the, the normal world. So do they call it a cult? Well, how do they, what was the name of this special group that you guys were part of? There was no name. She is the leader. She's still alive and still many people are still there that were there for the past 50, 60 years. Um, there's, so there's no name to it. It's just her and her home. And so it's not like a, a Scientology or, you know, a cult that has like a name. And it was just people that, she met in Cuba or in Miami that were seeking. And Miami is very heavily populated with, with Cubans. And like I said, just in the Cuban culture, Afro-Cuban Afro- traditions are very common. And some people just ended up with her and it just went awry. 
So, so what, what was it that she claimed to be the spiritual leader? Is that what drew your parents and everyone else to this person? They thought that she was, what was she offering them spiritually that they couldn't offer themselves? So, and, and this has gotten a little bit more, like I said, accessible lately, but, you know, spiritual traditions and teachings are actually quite hermetic in nature. They were, you know, teachings that were kept from the sort of mainstream. This is sort of the origin of, of spiritual literature and spiritual access. So there was always a belief that certain people had the, the teachings or the knowledge or knew how to access them. And this has changed. And just during that time period, she was just one of those people that with her spirit guide, you had access to a trans medium that would channel you know, teachings for you from the universe and you felt that you had access or information that wasn't available. That isn't the case now. So like I said, I, I teach people all the time to develop their skills, but people don't know. A lot of times people don't know that they have access to what are called the clairs. The clairs are these gifts like clairvoyance or clairaudience or claircognizance. So that was her whole MO. And it's not uncommon that this still happens. So one of the one of my big missions is to have people not gain reliance on gurus or teachers or cult leaders because we do have the skills. You may need a teacher like me to help you learn the skills, but then it's your path, your spiritual road for you to learn what it is that you want to learn and, and do what you came to do. But it's not uncommon that these spiritual teachers sort of get you promising you you know, whether it is wealth or fame or love. And oftentimes it's similar to a gang mentality where you feel lonely, you want to be part of a group, or again, you want to feel special or you feel you're special. So there, there are traits, but anybody really could fall prey to a cult. This isn't that people are weak-minded. It's that we want, we're spiritual beings and, and, and we want access to this information. So it happens more often than what you'd be, you know, surprised. So that's that's where I was going to. I, I'm curious to know what is the makeup of the the typical cult follower? Why? Why do we do this? Why? Where are we seeking acceptance? We're seeking community. Um, are we seeking spirituality? How does somebody like David Koresh? Or these other cults, these other horror stories that you've heard of, where they sit around and they drink the juice and they castrate themselves and they all die together. How do we go from wanting to be loved to this this fanatical uh, environment? So my experience was different since I was born into it. And there's a lot of research. There's actually an international cultic association that conducts research and, and speaks to this. So it's different when you're born into a cult versus when you go as, uh, as an adult. So growing up there, that's all I knew. But, you know, I've developed um, a lot of subconscious theories as a result of this experience in my own spiritual journey and, and what I write about and teach. And the subconscious, at the moment of conception is when it's developed and then through pregnancy, birth, and then from zero to seven. So during those years, specifically zero to seven, we're forming the subconscious mind. And one of the things that we all learn and why we're all sort of, um, where really anybody can, can fall prey to something like this 
is that we're here to meet our parents' needs, not the other way around. We've been told that our parents love us unconditionally and that they meet our needs and it's not true. We're actually here to meet their needs and love them. And so if you're seeking unconditional love because you feel that you've been sort of misled to believe that your parents did you wrong, that you haven't had your needs met, that you haven't been loved unconditionally, and then you find this group that appears to be all accepting, as you mentioned, community accepting. We all have a primordial wound. We're abandoned in some way. They sort of prey on that, on that sort of weakness or that feeling of abandonment or unworthiness. And we all have this. I've studied this extensively and, and written on this extensively. So it's not that any one particular person has this or not. We all have these things in our psyche, in our subconscious. So the right opportunity, maybe after a divorce or maybe after a death of a family member, or you had a falling out with, with brother and sister, at a moment of weakness, if you're seeking acceptance in community, and you feel that perhaps your family of origin or your partner has done you wrong, you're at a point where perhaps you can fall prey to the promises, the false promises of these groups. And I do believe, and this has been studied too, that the members genuinely care for one another. And I know that my parents were extremely generous, loved the other members. It's usually that cult leader that's in a separate room that has the financial access that the other members don't. So it's not like a membership issue, it's the leadership issue. Was there a sexual abuse or any type of abuse in your group growing up? No, there was some from the cult leader's um, father. He was a much older man who was blind and there were stories, but it wasn't like a traditional you know, where, where sexual abuse is, is rampant. It wasn't like that. They're, you know, just being part of a group and mm. um, there were stories, but but nothing, nothing, nothing that a, you ever focal point. Nothing that you were ever privy to, thankfully. No, um, not in the in that regards through the through the cult, no. Now who's the who's in charge when you're in a cult? Is it your parents or is the cult leader ultimately the final decision maker for you, Francis? The cult leader decided it all. So one of the things, and I'm sure it's different. I don't know if you're a parent, but I am. I can't imagine relinquishing, when my children were small, power to this third person that wasn't myself or their father. So I, I can't speak to what my parents felt. Um, I've heard some things. I've interviewed some people that have left, and you feel as if you can make it's safer for your children, for instance, or you can prevent them from having a bad choice or a bad life or making a bad decision in love. And I think that all parents would want if they had access to that, as many people might seek psychics and mediums for that same reason, wouldn't keep their child from being protected, right? But ultimately being the person that was sort of handed over to her that caused me a lot of trouble and, and a lot of healing that I had to do, understanding the state of mind of my parents that they thought they were helping, but in essence weren't. Mm. So it's a different, like I said, psychology being the child versus being the parent. I can see as a parent that you would want help for your child if you thought that they 
would need it, but I, I don't understand handing over, you know, complete sort of authority over your child. That, that I, wow. I never really that's, reconciled. That's incredible. Well, that's absolutely incredible. I could never imagine that either. Um, are your parents still alive, either of them? They are. Both of my parents are alive. They left the cult. They're wonderful. My parents are absolutely wonderful people. Um, we've had lengthy conversations. You know, my parents were very young when they met her. Very, very young. And they all came from Cuba. They didn't know the language. They were just starting out. You know, they were also in search of community. Close friends had recommended her. And like I said, those early years were, were really great, solid spiritual foundation. But, but don't you think that that's part of the game too? That's part of the game these leaders play. It's the grooming. It's making you guys feel comfortable, feel loved, setting the tone, the foundation, the early years. So that once things get comfortable and settled in, this is like the, this is normal this is this is someone that loves me absolutely and when i left that was it was really hard i mean she came to my door and basically used the pet name that she would call me you know kind of sympathetic to what was to your the pet love name? that in the bond i'm sorry what was your pet name ukita ukita yes <laughs> which means what exactly so it's just a term of endearment hmm. and um and so she, you know, she came to the door and and she was like, you know, we miss you, we love you. And I was like, nope. Um, and, and you were 33 years old. And figuratively on that you, part of my life. You were 33 at that moment in time. I was 33. Yes. Yeah. I had left and divorced and had three children. Are your parents remorseful for, for having put you guys into the situation when you talk to them now? I mean, we... I do. I talk at length with my parents about it. I, I see my parents weekly for dinner. And I don't know if remorse is the word. It's more about, you know, an understanding the same reason that, that I left. They realized that this wasn't a supportive environment. Are they um, angry at themselves? Do you think that they, that they kicked themselves looking back? I don't know. And I really have not had that level of conversation with them. What I understand about parents overall and like i said we have children to meet our needs and to love us and not the other way around not that parents don't love us but that unconditional love that we we think we're supposed to get is is not true so i wasn't seeking sort of a you know tell me you were wrong and and a forgiveness i i, I worked that through in my own spiritual journey so they have to understand what happened to them and, and what made them choose that so that's not really my place, but that we have extensive conversations about it, absolutely. Different things that might come up. So this has all led to your mission, which is uh, you're a consciousness coach, you're a mental health counselor, you're an astrologer, you're a, an author, you're a college professor. I mean, you, you, you're doing a lot of things, but they all are kind of interrelated back to this um, mental health aspect, correct? And yes. So my main mission, especially now as we enter what's called the age of Aquarius. So I don't know how, how much you dabble in, in consciousness or the spiritual world, but in my field, everybody is developing what I call sticky note spirituality. And they're seeking development of their intuition and, and, and their psychic senses, which is great. We need intuition. It's, it's part of the gifts that we have being here let me but interrupt you real a lot quick of false prophets. let me let me just ask you real quick since you're saying that i just don't want to lose that point um 
So you're you're implying intuition is something that can be developed. This is not just innate within us. You're saying intuition oh, is a de- it's part is of a that's one of the skill. things I do. Okay. It okay. is Fair innate, enough. but we haven't been given the technique. So of course, if one of the appeals of a guru or a cult leader is, oh, I have these skills, I'm here to tell you everybody has what are called the clairs. And I help people read the Akashic records and develop their psychic abilities. Everybody has it. You may not do it as a job like I do, but absolutely. Okay. So in this day and age, this is being pretty popular. And a lot of uh, cult leaders or spiritual teachers or gurus or, or, you know, whatever you want to call them are pretty rampant and available. And I have a 12 truths of the spiritual path. There is a truth that you need a teacher at some point, a mentor, to help you. You you may not necessarily read spiritual literature and understand it. You know, it's a lot of metaphor, it's a lot of symbol and myth. And this is what, what I do, is I try to help students decipher. But one of the problems, which is what this cult leader did, is that she never let go of the people that came to learn from her. So she's got women in her cult that went to learn mediumship and never left, and they're in their 60s and 70s. So that isn't what a teacher is supposed to do. A spiritual teacher should be just a guide on your path for a short time. So yes, intuition can absolutely be developed. We all have it, but we may not know how to access it or or how to know what our guidance is saying. So one of the things that I observe is what I said before is this thing I call sticky note spirituality. It's these tag phrases like manifestation or co-create or positive vibes. And we don't know the origins of where these terms come from. So I wrote a book called Hidden Truths on the eight spiritual laws of the universe that dictate everything in the universe. So everything that I write, all of my books are written on spiritual law. And if we know these laws, because we're held to them, whether we know them or not, then we can live a spiritually guided life. So you may need help learning, but nobody has to be next to a teacher or a guru forever. And there's actually a lot written on this in spiritual literature. So my entire mission is to not create dependence on spiritual teachers, religions, cults, and so forth, and rather instruct you. I have hundreds of hours of free videos on my YouTube. I've got workbooks that link to all of my books. Nothing has to be purchased on my website so that people can inform themselves and then find a seek, you know, seek a teacher if, if they desire to go deeper. But there, there's not a need for an intermediary between you and, and, and your spirit, you and the divine. So that's something that that le- has led to to these these cults existing in in the spiritual communities. So that's one of sort of my missions is to is to stress that a teacher is useful, but you really have these abilities within, and also to educate yourself. Teachers that don't do their work, teachers that pretend that they've dissolved their ego teachers that pretend that they don't have a shadow aspect nonsense like you need to know what to look for in a spiritual teacher and basically you're walking the walk right by your student's side you are not feeling that you're ahead of or you have any specialness whatsoever 
if anything, you probably have to work harder because you might be prone to narcissism and, and you know, sort of a darker shadow because you're drawn to these things. Mm. So it, you have to be aware of your own sort of shadow aspect and do the work before you can help anybody. And I don't believe in anybody helping or healing another. You heal yourself and others learn from that vibration. So are you suggesting that in order to break these subconscious patterns that we've created mostly from early childhood and that are holding us back in our adult lives, are you suggesting that you need this astrology, this this type of spiritual guidance in order to do that? Or can you no. do it without? So the subconscious actually develops at the moment of conception. So I have a four-stage model for the subconscious development. The moment of conception, you get your entire sub subconscious template programmed into you from conception from mom and dad. The second layer of subconscious is during pregnancy. So this is where you learn like your shadow love language and you learn how to seek love unhealthily. You think it's unconditional, but it's not. And you go through life seeking a conditional version of love. Let me stop this you again. Let me, sto Let me stop you. I'm sorry, because this is, this is, I'm trying to follow. This is very complex and interesting to say the least. You're suggesting that our subconscious state of mind starts at the moment we're conceived. Correct? Absolutely. Okay. How do you know that? So it's written in the Vedas, <laughs> um, ancient spiritual texts, first, first of all. And I have written numerous books on this and have seen hundreds of clients. And I have something called the psychological x-ray that I perform with clients. It's asking three or four questions and I can see the entire subconscious template. So at the moment of conception, you inherit this. This is where astrology, I was saying, comes in. You can actually see your entire subconscious programming on your astrology chart. You do not need to know or believe in astrology. What does that look layer, like? What does that look like? The subconscious programming on a chart. What is what? What are the data points that are on there? So there are what we call archetypes. So they look like the planet. So they they represent Pluto, Neptune, Saturn, Uranus, etc. And these archetypes are patterns that every single person has. There's only twelve. Every single thing in the universe boils down to twelve archetypes, twelve patterns. So we all have these twelve in our astrology chart. So it's basically a circle and um, it looks like a pie chart with 12 pieces of pie. And these 12 archetypes are scattered somewhere on that chart. And that's Those based upon the date that we're born? What exactly is that based upon? It is, it's based on the moment of birth, the day, the time and the place. Okay. This the all place. started okay. sort of percolating, like I said, at the moment of conception. So everything that happened at conception shows up on the birth chart and we can actually track with astrology programs the prenatal chart so the entire pregnancy but on your day of your birth your time and place this chart is, is crafted there's apps free apps online for that and there's these archetypes or these planets and i call them the psychological organs and they talk to one another so they're either speaking collaboratively or competitively. If they're speaking collaboratively, it's a strength that you have. It's something inherited from parents that was a strength, a skill, good coping, for instance. You're strong, you're brave, you're courageous. 
you're a really hard worker, you're a great athlete. And then the competitive voices are actually the subconscious. So that's the shadow aspect. Those are the aspects of ourselves that we don't like, that we criticize, that we judge, and we suppress. And ultimately, we end up projecting onto other people in our life. So all of this was inherited at the moment of conception, what I call the bad buckets and the good buckets from mom and dad. Wow. If you want the representation, you can use astrology or you can download my Seven Gates workbook and you can do your own psychological x-ray with just a few questions. So the so chart was, is just an easy way to see it. So, yeah. So that's you're saying that's there's four, four uh, tenets or phases, whatever you call them. Four, so the first one is conception, subconscious. Everything creates in that moment. Boom. That moment, boom. That You have yeah. zero control. Then you said something about Well, this. no. No, no, no. Not true. Universal law. Everything's rooted in universal law. So there is a law of vibration, and you have chosen your parents not based on their physical features or where they live or how tall they are, but rather their vibration, what I call the low-level consciousness. We are all attracted to our parents at the moment of conception based on a vibration that is a low-level consciousness, so an animal consciousness. And our entire purpose of a lifetime is to raise our consciousness level to a higher state of consciousness or a higher frequency or vibration, as Einstein spoke about, throughout your life. So you didn't, you did have choice in that from the soul perspective. Also, you chose your parents' vibration and what you come to incarnate as a thread to work on rooted in your past karma. So in this lifetime, one of your karmas show up as a thread and you choose your parents and that's your issue or your thread that you work throughout your lifetime. So you do have choice. That is not accurate. Okay. So you have, you're saying when we're conceived, we have chosen to be conceived by these two people. Energetically, we've chosen the vibration, not the physicality of it. We've chosen the vibration. How would Correct. we know? How would we know what that vibration is? How, if, if we hadn't become a, into being yet, how do we know? All is energy. And so, for instance, if you meet a partner, um, you're not attracted to him or her. You think you are on the physical features. What you're actually attracted to is the energetic vibration. And so we are always vibrating at the same resonance or frequency as our parents. And then later on when we have our partners, our children. So I write extensively in all of my books. I have an individual system, a relationship system, a family system, where I explain this explicitly on why, for instance, our our patterns are linked to our parents' state of mind at the moment of conception. So if your mother was having some, some issues with her image at the state of conception, or your father closed a big deal that evening and he was feeling really powerful, you inherit their mind. There is a law of the universe. It is the map daddy law called the principle of mentalism. And in a nutshell, it says all is mind. So you inherit your parents' mind and that becomes your mind, your low level consciousness that you fight, quote unquote, fight these competitive voices throughout your lifetime, unless you learn the subconscious programming, you understand the shadow, you bring it to the light and you transmute the consciousness and raise consciousness. That's your purpose of a lifetime. 
Your parents simply gave you a body, a low-level consciousness, emotions, and desires. That was their only job. Wow. So, again, to recap that point there, (laughs) you're suggesting here that that if your parents are in a good place mentally, the moment they conceive you, let's just say they they did well, you closed the deal, financially they had a, a great week, versus being in a bad place mentally when they conceive you, that will have a direct impact on your low-level consciousness. Yes, so we are all rooted in low-level consciousness and we all have desire. So the second truth on a spiritual path is the truth of desire. So regardless of if they had a good or bad day, they have a subconscious mind and a shadow themselves. So I have an adage that says, parents do your work so your children don't have to do it for you. The work that I do on my shadow, the work I do on my psyche, on my spiritual and mental health, then my children don't have to carry my shadow and do it for me, hence the sins of the father. So it's not only, oh, wow, my, you know, my father bought three buildings a year I was born. He was doing great financially, right? So, okay, that's going to give me perhaps an ease in terms of making money or real estate, for instance. That doesn't mean that he didn't have shadow aspects that were, you know, desirous in nature and, and, and low-level consciousness. All human beings have a low-level animal consciousness that we're conceived upon. And our spiritual journey the entire job, the entire purpose of the lifetime is to hopefully die with transmuted consciousness, raise consciousness compared to the moment of conception. So this is what all my theories and my books speak, step-by-step models on how to do that. So yes, okay. there might be an ease if dad was, you know, doing really well financially or mom, you know, was a beautiful person, you know, physically, you might not have severe body image issues, let's say. But that doesn't mean that you don't have other shadow aspects. And these are directly linked to the vices or the reboots or the thieves of, of the psyche. And everybody has those same um, sort of vices or, or sins or, or thieves. And then, and so your teachings, we're bouncing a little bit, but your teachings then, once people get to know who they are, where they come from, their, their uh, Akashic, you call it, is that right? Akashic records, their astrology. You don't need, those are just tools. You do not need the Akashic records or astrology. My model is just basic questions. What did you like about mom and dad when you were zero to seven? How did you describe yourself and how did others describe you? Those four questions comprise an entire psychological x-ray and I'll give that to my client in a first session. No need to see astrology, no need, nothing. Those are just Mm. basic questions that anybody can download the workbook and do for themselves. And then there's the seven steps to see how the subconscious developed and how to raise consciousness. The tools that are available to us, so for instance, the second level of subconscious development is the shadow love language you learn from the womb. Every single person learned a limited version of love, a conditional version of love in the womb. And that is the way that you're going to seek love and to get your needs met when you grow up or when you're born. Let me ask you this, doctor. Let me ask you this. Don't we all have the same experience in the womb? How how can my experience in in the the womb? womb? Oh, absolutely. How is my experience in the womb different from yours? We're we're in a little bubble of water and, and internal organs. 
So how, how are we having all different experiences in the womb? What's going on? Every single thing that happens in the womb, and you, you can see this from the water element, the transmute emotion, transmute intuition. Everything mom is feeling, the child interprets in the sort of emotional brain as love. So if your mom is getting violated by your father and he's kicking her in the gut, you and I'll just use astrology for a moment, you might have a moon in Aries that is linked to violence as love and you will seek conflictive relationships. Whereas someone else might have a mother that works until the moment her water breaks, she interprets that as love equals hard work and has a moon in Capricorn. Very different experiences. But so let me ask you this. Every single thing mom is experiencing, the child internalizes as love and what they seek in the world in romantic relationships. So it's really what the mother's emotional state is, a lot of that uh, in the womb. Because emotional state and lived experience. But, so how, but how, level. How, how do I in the womb know that my mother's working? Maybe I just think that she's an active person. How do I know? Because all emotion is transmitted by the element of water. So there are four elements, aside from spirit, that animates us, air, earth, fire, and water. And so intuition is known to be a water element. And so you develop that language, your attachment style, with your mother in the womb based on what she's experienced. And that is, in the second step of my model, your definition of love. That is what you seek. That is how you will seek to get your needs met. So I have a book coming out later this year on all of the 12 signs linked to the moon. And I explain not only the astrology, but the, the biochemistry and the attachment style linked to that. So everything mom experiences, child is experiencing. So not only nutrition-wise, emotion-wise, work-wise, um, energetically, intuitively, conflict, um, stress, peace, rest, all of it. Wow. What's number three? Third is your birth story. So the way you choose to transition into the world will speak to how you transition in every other phase of your life, mainly your first sexual experience, and then eventually your death if you do not rewrite it and you don't transmute consciousness. So the way you enter the world, there's a wonderful transpersonal psychologist by the name of Stanislav Grof, and I've piggybacked my theory off of some of his theories, where he speaks about the four stages that the baby goes through when being birthed, and equates them to like feeling suffocated or small deaths, and this is in our psyche. That's why transitions for, for most people are very difficult, or they create some sort of chaos, they're unnerving, they're stressful because they're linked to the subconscious development, the third stage, which is our birth. So for instance, conception, you get your shadow, your full subconscious. In the womb, you get your love language, how you're gonna seek love in the world. In the third stage, your birth, you're gonna seek how you transition into your stages of life. And then what I call the snow globe, your zero to seven years, is the story, your actual personal mythology of uh, what story you're gonna live out in order to, to prove all this to be true, so to speak, your wounds and so forth. You, you mentioned that stage three goes up until you said something about your first sexual experience. Is that what, elaborate, is that goes from? Yes, your birth. Yeah, does that go, like, is okay, that, part, is that, 
I'm sorry, I might have lost you. So is st- the stage three end once you've hit your first sexual experience? I'm not, I wasn't following exactly what that meant. So these four stages of subconscious development, like I said, they all start at the moment of conception. But we need information. There's two main states of consciousness. There's earthly consciousness, right? You're in an earthly body. I'm in an earthly body. We're having an earthly conversation. But we also have a soul or a spirit that animates us. And that has a different level of consciousness. It's connected to the universal consciousness. These two energies or these two states of consciousness should be in unison. They shouldn't be at odds with one another. And so when we are in our earthly story, for instance, I grew up in a cult. Well, my spiritual consciousness knows that I chose that so that I could do the work that I'm here. And the goal is that our spiritual and our earthly consciousness collaborate and and unify and we can get to that point of our growth. So the subconscious, all of it is programmed at the moment of conception. But then we have a birth, a pregnancy story that gives us the love. Then we have a birth story that gives us how we transition. So for instance, I had no anesthesia. I came out really fast and furious. And that's how I would work through transitions in my in my life until I learned to change that pace. So the first transition that birth is linked to is your first sexual experience. And that's up to the client what they deem to be the first sexual experience, whether it's masturbation, intercourse, or just, you know, touch. So that's something that the client dictates. That will parallel or model your birth story. And every subsequent transition that you have in your life, marriage, divorce, children, moves, college, will link back to that birth story. In astrology, that's linked to the ascendant. And then you're zero to seven. So now you're present, right? You weren't present for any of the other three or you didn't know. Now from zero to seven, you have what I call your personal mythology or your origin story. Now you've got your costumes and your characters and your players and your location and so forth. Now you can say, I grew up in a cult. But the moment of conception, that was already there. It was already programmed in the subconscious. But now I have a mission and a vision and a story, earthly consciousness, to unify with the spiritual consciousness, which is the vibration I chose of my parents to do the work I come to do. That's when we live in sort of presence and mindfulness and and awareness of of both our spirit and our matter and that's a unified state that we we hope to achieve this is fascinating (laughs) this is absolutely fascinating stuff i'm really really (laughs) glad that we get a chance to just scratch the surface today i feel like we can go for hours upon hours hours absolutely i I feel like i'm getting a teaching lesson that, that people have to pay for so i'm grateful to you for this you Thank do you. have a book, uh, The Seven Gates, Seven Steps Beyond Self-Awareness. So you've kind of teased that a little bit. Talk a little bit about the book, The Seven Steps, and uh, what the book hopes to help people achieve. So in that book, I clearly spell out these four stages of subconscious development. And then what I give is seven steps. So every single situation that causes any sort of strife on a scale of one to 10, it could be dropping your napkin at a restaurant or getting into a car accident. Your subconscious does not recognize a difference. So anything that causes any stress, scale of one to 10, you can use this model. And it is linked to your subconscious and what I call your bad buckets, your shadow. 
So these seven steps are to help get you from what I basically call child to adult. And if you work the steps, you can get very clear on your subconscious and it no longer has to dictate everything in your life. Really consciousness or 1% one, 1 of our mind or our choices are conscious. 99% are subconscious. Wow. So just in this model alone, even if you just do the first three steps that I call a spiritual tech talk on repeat, your life will change. It's, it's phenomenal. And for any of your listeners, if I've got a book on relationships, on family, it's all based on this model, but then I extrapolate the teachings um, to the, the, the problem that you're working. So all of those workbooks are free on my website and all of the books. I've got four books coming out later this year. Um, again, on these that's it, models, only four I'm more, sorry. only four more. That's it, yeah, four more. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been a I had cancer for five years, oh, wow. and I was like practically dead on the couch. And I woke up last year and I'm not sick, and I knew and I got tested, and my cancer was gone, and I healed it through these tools. And your subconscious is ridiculously powerful. I have many, many theories on illness and so forth. I speak a little bit about that in this book. But I've got YouTube videos up the wazoo. If you're into subconscious myth, metaphor, spirit, have fun. You will love the content. It's all original content. And I've just been writing like a mad woman. So that's I've absolutely right now amazing. tapped into that creative funnel and it's like nonstop these days. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you've overcome the cancer. That's most important. Uh, five years that had to be a long time for you someone that transitions quickly like you say that had to be yeah. five years I learned to slow down <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Yahia.com where else can people find you online anywhere else you want us want them to uh, to take a look sure. for for my YouTube channel I've got Instagram Facebook um, I also have on Patreon a spirituality starter kit if any of your listeners are just started or they want to sort of learn about all of the 12 truths, everything interrelates with what you're already doing, religious or spiritual practices, or if you're starting from scratch, it's a $10 and you get a free workbook and a video for each of the 12 truths with activities and homework assignments. And, and, and you can, of course, always just email me straight from my contact page on my website if you're seeking something specific a reading or you know some guidance in a specific direction i'm here to help dr francis yahia this is awesome stuff thank you very much for the insight uh for sharing your story for for breaking free at the age of 33 to ultimately create this this uh incredible passion that you you know focused all your teachings around so uh, we'll be staying in touch look forward to seeing more of your work awesome thank you nate